This morning we read from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him, though indeed He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So there was a man who was on a bit of a lark. He'd been out indulging in a little liquor. He'd had a little too much, decided he could find his way home by walking. He's walking down a dirt road, which he believes leads to his house. He hears some commotion in the woods there next to him. He wanders on into the woods to see what's going on comes right up to the edge of a creek bank, and there is a man standing in the water. He can't quite hear what the man's saying, so he wants to move a little closer, but in his inebriated state, his balance is not what it might have been, and he stumbles into the water and runs right into the back of this preacher who's baptizing people in the creek. The preacher turns around and sees the man, but more than seeing him, he smells him. And he says to him, are you ready to find Jesus? And the man says, I am ready to find Jesus. And the preacher grabs him and dunks him in the water, holds him under for a minute, pulls him back up and says, have you found Jesus? The stunned man says, no, I don't think I have. Preacher grabs him, dunks him back in the water a second time, pulls him back out and says, brother, have you found Jesus? And the fellow says, no. He says, for the love of God, man, he dunks him back under a third time, holds him a little longer. The guy begins to flail, arms and legs all around. The preacher jerks him out of the water and says, brother, have you found Jesus? And the guy's gasping for breath. He's kind of wiping his eyes. And he says, no, but are you sure this is where he fell in? Sometimes, in our efforts to communicate what we have found about Jesus, we fail to communicate clearly. 
We often assume that what we have experienced and what we have known in terms of faith is everyone else's experience, but that's just not always true. Sometimes people need some more help. Sometimes we need to give a little more information, provide a little more context so that they can begin to understand what we're talking about. Sometimes people need a little more direction, a little more guidance about what Christian life is all about. Sometimes they need a little more love, a little more care and healing presence of others coming around them before they can fully embrace all that it means to be a follower of Christ. Sometimes they just need a little more time to process everything that they have been through in their own lives and in their own experience until God has worked in a way that they can recognize and respond to. In the book of Acts this morning, we're finding this description of Paul and the trips Paul took in an effort to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. The section we read from this morning in the 17th chapter describes when Paul is in Athens, Greece. It tells us that he's wandering around town looking at all the different shrines and places that the Greeks have built. He's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for a bridge of how he might speak into their lives this good news that he has found of God's love being alive, even overcoming death through Jesus Christ. And then he finds the shrine that says to an unknown God. And Paul seizes on that and thinks, that is it. That's where I can start. I can begin to talk about that and help these folks understand my own experience and this proclamation I have to share with them. And so he begins to talk to them about this shrine of the unknown God. And then in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Paul is saying, I know you're thinking about God, and that is good, but let me tell you more about God than just saying there is an unknown God. This God is creator of the universe, he wants them to know. And then on down in verse 27, he affirms their search for God, and he says, perhaps you grope for him and find him though indeed he is not far from each of us. So often when we talk about how big and magnificent and transcendent God is, which is an important part to understand, we begin to get the idea that God is far away and maybe even inaccessible and that we're too small an individual for God to care about. But Paul is saying, oh no, God is close, really close by. He goes on in verse 28 to say, in fact, this God who's created the universe in God, this is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. God is all around us. It is within God's life that we have life. Paul wants these who will hear his proclamation to know that they can know God and that God knows them. And in fact, their lives are intertwined, whether they have recognized it or not. Rosemary Keating is a professional nurse in Oklahoma City. 
She's led a very distinguished career in health care. She's worked in a number of different sectors, and now she's a health educator, helping others move into careers in terms of health care. She talks about her faith and her job in a seamless way. She understands that when she's working in the medical field, she's also not only serving people, but serving God. She believes that God is at work through her. She says before she sees patients, her practice is to pray for them. Before working with students, her practice is to pray for them. That God might use her to help them. She says if in her work it comes up, God or faith, and they want to talk about it, she's glad to have that discussion with them and talk about her own faith and to ask them questions about theirs. Her hope is that she can be a light to those who may not know God, that she might be a vessel that God can use, an instrument in God's hands, if you will. She not only prays for her patience, she has prayer every morning as part of her devotional life, trying to get her day started on the right track, focused on the right things, open to how God might lead her. She said when they were interviewing her about this in the article I was reading that this would be her advice. Always be open to God's guidance and keep your focus on God, not your own agenda. Ask God to direct you to where you're supposed to be. Then listen. Ask God to direct you to where you're supposed to be, then listen. So often we pray, then we forget to watch for God to respond. We ask for help or guidance or direction and forget to hang around long enough to hear what God may have to say to us. I think Paul would understand Rosemary's description of how her faith is interwoven with her life and her career and her job. I think Paul would see her as a faithful witness to the gospel. Even though they're serving in very different times and places, I think Paul would recognize what Rosemary's doing as a faithful witness to her faith. And surely Rosemary understands what Paul is saying when he writes that it's in God that we live and move and have our being. She says she hopes that God is using her in all that she's doing in her work so that others might come to know the faith that is so important to her. One of my former parishioners sent me a story not so long ago about Coach Bear Bryant. It talked about the very first year he became head coach at the University of Alabama. He became their football coach in 1958. He said he knew when he got there that some improvements had to be made and he was hoping to do better. And he said he knew he had to hit the recruiting trail and travel around and find the right players and bring them to the university. So one day he said he had driven very far in the southern part of Alabama. And he says he was driving around, but finally he realized he was lost. He didn't know how to find this house where he was going. He'd been driving all morning and he passed on the highway a sign, kind of a crude homemade sign that just said restaurant. And he thought, I should go back there and at least have lunch. So he turns around and pulls back into the place, 
He walks inside. He says it's pretty plain in terms of circumstances, and there's a cement bar up in the front of the restaurant. So he says he just walked straight up there and waited to be served. He said everybody just kind of looked at him for a while. Then finally a large man came out of the kitchen and said, Can I help you, sir? And he said, Well, I hope so. I've come for lunch. And the man says, well, I'm not sure you'll like what we're having. Today we're having collard greens and black-eyed peas and chitlins with cornbread. The man says, I bet you don't even know what chitlins are. And Coach Bear Bryant said, oh, no, I'm from Arkansas. I bet I've eaten a mile of them. I'm in the right place. And the man said, okay, and went back to the kitchen and found a plate and filled it up and brought it out to Coach Brian. He said it was delicious, and everyone seemed to relax now that he was eating and then having conversation. The fellow who was serving him said, so you're not from around here, I guess. He said, no, not from around here. I've been called here to your state to be the head football coach for the University of Alabama. Oh, the man is somewhat impressed. He says, in fact, I'm down here recruiting but I've been lost. I can't find the guy I'm looking for, says the name of the young man. And this fellow says, oh, I can tell you how to get there. Coach Bryant says, great, finishes up his lunch, says, I remembered my manners. I'm going to pay, but I'm also going to leave a tip. And I said, I don't want to leave too much. I'm not trying to be a flashy or a big deal here, but I want to leave enough to say thank you very much. He says, the man said, lunch is on us. You're the coach of the University of Alabama. And he said, oh, no, for a lunch that good, I've got to pay. He said he paid for his lunch, and he's getting ready to leave. And the fellow says, coach, you don't have to happen to have a picture of yourself, do you? Maybe with one of those logos of the University of Alabama printed on it that you could give me, and I could put it up on the wall and show people that you have been here. Bear Bryant said, I was so new, I didn't have any pictures like that. He said, I didn't even have any pictures with me. He said, oh, I, I don't have anything, and I surely don't have any pictures yet with the logo, but I, ha I have some pictures back at the office. I could send you one. Could you give me your name and address? And so Coach Bryant says he wrote it down on a napkin, put it in his pocket, and left the restaurant. He said he did find the young man, had a great conversation with him, thought it was going pretty well, but then the young boy turned him down and said, I'm not coming to Alabama. Coach Bryant said I felt like I'd wasted the whole day, except I had had a great lunch. I'd had a great experience there. Well, the next day, back in the office, he finds the napkin, opens it up, remembers he's supposed to send a picture, finds the picture, writes on there, thanks for the best lunch I've ever had. Coach Paul Bear Bryant puts it in the mail and sends it to the fella. He doesn't think anything else about it. He says, now jump years ahead. And he says, now we're in a situation where we have black players on our team in the University of Alabama. I'm back down in that part of the country again. I'm recruiting this big old fellow who's an offensive lineman and I think we really need. I go to his house. We have another great conversation. I think maybe I'm making progress again. And then the young man says, well, my two best friends are going to Auburn 
so I'm going to go with them to Auburn. And Coach Bryant says, it feels like I've wasted another day in South Alabama. He goes back to Tuscaloosa. He says it's a couple days later. His phone rings. It's this young man. He says, Coach, do you still want me to play for the University of Alabama? And he said, sure, son, we could use you. He said, well, I'm coming then. And he said, what changed your mind? He said, well, when I told my granddad that you had come to see me, and I'd said no, that I wasn't coming to Alabama, he threw a fit. He said, if the great Bear Bryant came to see you and offered you a position, you're going to Alabama. He's a great man. He says, my granddad's loved you ever since you met. Of course, his grandfather was the man who had been the restaurant owner that day who had served him. He said, you know, my grandfather was glad to meet you, but when you said no, you didn't have a picture. He really thought you meant no, you wouldn't give him a picture. But when the picture came in the mail and you had signed it, you had kept your word, you had remembered, he said it made all the difference in the world to him. He has thought you were a great man ever since that day. Now, Coach Bryant only spent minutes in the presence of that man on that day. And yet, if we think about it, we realize he defined himself for a lifetime. In just those few minutes, he defined what kind of person he was and others remembered for a lifetime. Oh, we live in a different time and place than days of segregation or the early days of integration in our country. And yet, the lesson holds true. We do define ourselves by how we treat others. We have choices to make as we go through our lives. We can be rude and crude and callous to those that we encounter, or we can be humble and kind and caring, and generous. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference not only in who we are, but it makes a difference in the lives of those whom we encounter. And as Christians, we should be wondering what kind of witness we're portraying in our everyday lives. This book of Acts is full of experiences of ordinary people through whom God is doing extraordinary things. And in their everyday experiences, they're having opportunities to witness, to proclaim the gospel, if you will, by how they treat others and how they live and the choices that they are making. I think Paul is being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ in his day and time, but so is Rosemary Keating in her own way in our day and time in Oklahoma City. And so was Coach Paul Bear Bryant being a witness to the goodness and the love of God that he had known as he treated other people with dignity and respect. There are people in our city who are in need. There are people in our city who have never met Jesus Christ or had a positive experience with people who go to church. It is an opportunity for us. There are people searching for God 
in our town. The question that we have to answer is, are we willing to help them? Are we willing to serve them? Are we willing to treat them with dignity and respect, whether they go to our church or not, whether they look like us or not, whether they've made the same choices we have made or not? was out shopping yesterday needing to get a new phone i didn't dress like this to go there i was in tennis shoes and shorts and a sports shirt i was sitting at a help desk there were some problems something that should have taken a few minutes had dragged on into two plus hours as we were trying to get things worked out but as i was sitting there talking to the young woman an older lady came by with her husband she kind of saw me out of the corner of her eye then she turned and glanced back then she took a couple of more steps and she stopped again looked at her husband turned back around and said aren't you aren't you aren't you that preacher on television i said well you may have seen me on channel eight i'm david wiggs she said yes you're the one we watch you every sunday and then she told me her story of how they've been gone and now they're back and how they haven't found a church home, yet they watch us. But then right at the end of our conversation, she started to leave, and then she came back. And she said, you know, you're just like you are on television. <laughs> oh, you look a little younger <laughs> than you do on television, but you treat people the way you act and say you should treat people when you talk on television, you never know what kind of witness you're making. You never know who's watching and making decisions about what it means to be a Christian or how Christians act. What's your witness like? Are you making choices that allow God to work through you and share that divine love that even conquers death? In the name of Jesus Christ, are you a witness to that love? Are you a witness to that kind of life? It's a question all of us have to answer for ourselves. There was a Quaker missionary that lived in the 1800s. He traveled to various places on the globe trying to proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ, of which we speak this morning. He did a lot of good things for people. I've read some about his life, but he has one quote. You may have heard it before. I've put it in your outline, but I think it's a great summary for what we're talking about today. He wrote, I expect to pass through the world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness I can show to any creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer, defer it, for I shall not pass this way again. Amen.